listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Nouvelle. It's not just a job. It's not just a paycheck. Or at least it doesn't have to be. With the help of experts across industries, Dirk helps you find your passion and career, as well as exposing the unknown parts of every vocation. Let's go deep. Let's find your genius zone right now. Here's Dirk Novell. Hi, everybody. This is Dirk Novell. Welcome to my podcast. I am really honored to have uh, Coach Bruce Brown on with me. And we've been talking a little bit prior to me hitting record and uh, just kind of catching up. But Bruce is a um, is someone that came into my life in seventh and eighth grade and only a couple years, but really made an impact on me. And, you know, I've watched him through social media, uh, stay in touch with a lot of his um, students. And, you know, he's a powerful guy who's done a lot of very cool things. I know he's super humble, but uh, it's impressive what he's done. So we're going to get into not only the teaching and the coaching, but some of the things that have come out of that. Um, Because I think it's really important when you're watching somebody like Coach Bruce Brown is to realize that teaching can lead to different avenues. And, you know, you don't have to be a a one trick pony and do one career. So I'm going to stop rambling and I'm going to pass it off to coach and let him kind of tell you a little bit about what he's doing now. Uh, and then we'll get back into the history and get into the weeds about kind of the life behind his career. Welcome. Thanks, Dirk. Really good to be with you. Really fun to be with you. Great to see your face, buddy. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I think, I don't think I would ever stop teaching, but in my era when I got close to 30 years the state of Washington was actually penalizing you if you went beyond 30 years you got penalized in your retirement if you went beyond 30 years I think that the the reason for that was they're trying to get rid of some of the higher paid teachers and bring in younger teachers which is always good but less expensive teachers so it was a a financial thing and it only lasted a few years that they actually were doing that otherwise I don't think I'd probably still be teaching it 76 and I'd, I'd probably still be teaching and coaching so when that when that happened um I actually went to a private school for a couple of years because you could teach at a private school and still draw your public school retirement and then I went to a co- local college as an athletic director and then um the NAI uh, the National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics it's like small NCAA it's like uh, <clears throat> probably about 300 small colleges around the country. They came to me and they said, we've got this concept called champions of character, but we think you have the content. And cause I had been doing a lot of speaking. And so we connected and worked there. And really, so that led to a lot of other things and uh, a lot of other opportunities and, and meeting tons and tons of people and traveling around the country to be small college campuses. And really what we do now, our business is proactive coaching. It is about being intentional with everything you do. It's about uh, being driven by character-based athletics, a character-based experience. Um, And we have a speaking team and we speak all over the country. Our target audiences are coaches uh, primarily, but we also speak a lot to athletes, a lot to leadership people, um, uh, parents, teachers, and it's actually branched into some businesses. It wasn't our goal. They've just kind of come to us and say, work with us like you do athletic teams. And so yeah, it's, been, it. it's been a, a great uh, second mountain, I guess, for me. You know, that, that there's a book called The Second Mountain about, you know, what you do with the second half of your life. And uh, it was actually sent to me by one of my former players, which is what happens a lot. But it's, it's, it's been a great... Um, continuation of teaching because really all I am still is doing is teaching. Yeah. You know, I love the why on your site with proactive coaching. I mean, I'm going to probably Tommy boy it here and say it wrong, but uh, character in a player affects the team character in a team affects the school, the character in a school affects the community. And then it just talks about like the impact for generations to come and with family being kind of at the core of it. And when I read that, I was just like, yeah, that's, that's powerful. And, um, and I, and I remember you in junior high, like I wasn't intimidated, but you, you were, you know, a big deal. And I remember like, just people wanted to, you know, they, they respected you and they, 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 I don't know, you, you seem to like even character back then, I didn't even know how to spell it back then, but 
when I read your why, I think, you know, you were always doing that from day one, from what I see. And, and Hayek might not have been your first, we'll, we'll get into your history, but I think that's always been part of who you are. I hope so. And I think that came from being raised that way. And I think it came from mentors who I had, and it came from me uh, wanting to be good for kids and go, and looking to see what I thought the best people in that profession were doing that allowed that to happen. Um, I remember one time and I, you know, I, I remember one time when I was interviewing for a job, probably midway through my career, I was changing school districts and, and this, this um, assistant superintendent asked me a question. He said, would you rather be uh, respected or liked? And I said, neither. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'd rather be loved. I'd rather be loved because if kids love the teacher, if the kids love a teacher, they're going to love the subject. They're going to get a whole lot more out of it. There's going to be a relationship there that will allow for growth in all kinds of different areas. So that was a, that was an interesting question. <laughs> yeah, it's powerful. I mean, uh, I, I would probably answer the same way as far as being loved. Uh, that's, um, you know, you have to earn that, right? You have to create a space of respect. And, and, and I think that's what you were able to do. Um, when you, you know, I've just, something came up when you're talking. So you, you grew up and went to Pasco and then you went to Washington state university, like my wife, and then you found a career over in Bellevue, uh, which, you know, I kind of think about kind of a different world a little bit. Like, did you ever have, was that ever an issue as far as just like, this is a completely different social setting. And like, I'm having a hard time dealing with these kids. Like I worked my butt off, you know, on the farm or whatever. And now I'm coming over here and these kids are getting new cars when they turn six. I mean, was there ever any of that or did you just kind of jump into it right away and no problem? It was a difference. It wasn't a, it wasn't a problem, but it's just a matter of kind of getting the lay of the land. Um, Bellevue was a very uh, highly respected district. And I think at the time it was probably one of the best paying districts in the state. And it was like this, Kind of a gold standard for where people in education wanted to end up and so i was really honored uh, to be selected for that school district and i did some research on what i should expect uh i don't want this to sound wrong but it was it was pretty funny uh one of my players well a, a young man moved in from an uh logging country in idaho and Grew up and kind of like I did in a very rural area. And I really loved this kid. He just, from immediately, he was a big, strong, kind of a tough kid, you know. And he came to me after he had been there a month and he came in and just sat down in my office. You know, I said, Marty, I said, what's going on? He said, Coach, I've been here for a month and I haven't seen a fight yet. <laughs> He said, if these guys want to fight, they throw their wallets at each other. I laughed so hard, I about died. And it was like, yeah, it was a different kind of, you know, and it isn't like I grew up in this really rough area, but the, Bellevue was Bellevue was different. Um, yeah. And, it was, yeah. and there were a lot of really good things about it. You know, there was a lot of parental support. There was a lot of, you know, the, it was, the community was was really tight. You know what I mean? Uh, it was it was early Bellevue. Yeah. And and those families, so many of those families still live in those same houses. You know, it's it's it's, a, it's it was a, it was a great place. It was a great place to begin my teaching. Yeah. It was, so Hayek was the, the beginning of it for you. Yeah, I actually stood taught at Newport because they thought one of the PE teachers and coaches at Newport was going to leave because they had two guys that competed for the football job and they figured the one that didn't get it would leave. And so I students out there with the idea that that's where I'd go. And when they both decided to stay and work for each other and which was a really neat deal. And so they, they had, I had been guaranteed a job in Bellevue. And so they said, well, we've got this job open at high at junior high. And I thought junior high, junior high, man, I, you know, that's not really what I was thinking. I was, thinking that I was going to be a high school. And then I thought back to my own junior high experience. And I thought, well, let me go see. Cause I liked, I mean, it was a, it's a critical time in your life. Uh, Dirk, it's just a, 
it's a very critical time. And I tell you what, it didn't take me long at all to just fall in love with it. And it's, it's an age where kids are making decisions. Um, for most kids, you're first, you're really the first coach that they've had that wasn't a dad. Uh, it's a, it's an age where they're trying to choose their path. Having coached both high school and college, um, most of those kids at 17, 18, 20, 22 have chosen a path. And if they're on the wrong path, it was so difficult to pull them off that path and get them back on the right path. But for junior high school kids, I always felt like you could kind of go, okay, stop a little bit to your left. There you go. Straight in. Stop. Okay. Move back. You know, and you can yeah. kind of guide them into, they were, they were, uh, you know, malleable that you could kind of just kind of shape them to get on the right path. And once they're on the right path, then you just praise them like crazy. And there was a tendency for them to stay there. Also, I felt like the junior high school age kids, I felt like I had them for six years and not three. Because I, I, I felt like I, I could, you know, teach them and coach them for three years in those critical years and then really keep track of them as they moved into high school and then even through college. So it turned out it was probably one of my you got to look junior high to teach there. I mean, some of my college and, and, and high school coaching friends thought I was crazy toward the very end of my career. I went back from coaching college and high school back to junior high. The, my last school I taught in in public school was back in a junior high. It was in Lake Washington. And I had a guy offer me this job. And he said, I've heard that you used to teach and coach junior high that you really liked it. And I thought, you know what? I really did like that. And so I went back uh, to a brand new school. I got a chance to be been in the process of building the school and designing the school, the, the facilities and that kind of stuff. And it, for me, it was... Uh, Go back and teaching and coaching junior high, I got my weekends back because you didn't practice or play games on weekends. I got my, we got our family holidays back. I wasn't coaching over Christmas. You didn't coach on Thanksgiving day. You know, all the crazy things that college and high school coaches do, the schedule that they maintain. All of a sudden I was back to, you play your games in the afternoon and you're home at 5.30 or six. You know, and so it was, it was a, it was a life change to go back there. And it was a good life change uh, for me. There are some people, some of my friends, I think, couldn't be satisfied with the desire to coach a higher skill level. You know, they're, they, they, but for me, it was coaching the exact same way. I didn't really change the way I coached, no matter what level I coached. And I, that skill level at that age, they are very, they can be taught a lot of things. And, and there's a lot of people that underestimate the ability of a 14 or 15 year old athlete. And, and the truth is they're bright and they're, they're open and they're coachable. And it's just, it's a great age. Yeah. I just, Hayek was powerful. And I don't know if Highland and Odell and Chinook had the same, but I remember being in seventh grade and, it was like the age gap. There was two year age, you know, two years, seventh day, ninth, but it, it felt like 10 to 25. Like these looked like grown adults, you know, the men and the women, like I just felt so young, but it was, I remember Hayek as a real nurturing school. Like I remember I played quarterback and I was younger and I remember like Judd Taylor and John O'Hara, like the coach would call a play and they would change it. But I was so nervous about making Judd and John upset that I would, I would do it. And then the coach would get mad at me. But I remember like from day one, though, it just felt like a family. And I don't know if that's, you know, a, a result of the teaching and people like you that created that environment. But <clears throat> I still have Hayek Raider sweatshirt, a hoodie. And, and it's like, I don't know how many people still have clothes from their junior high, but um, powerful. So I, I'm curious when you're talking I'm I, you know, the, the Bruce Brown, the coach Brown, like in, in high school and junior high and college, like what kind of guy were you then? Like, were you, were you an athlete? I mean, I'm guessing you played sports. Were you, and by the way, were you always like, I'm going to coach and teach or where did that come from? I think I knew what I was going to do real early on. And, you know, you have mentors in your life and most of your mentors when you're really young are family. Uh, and 
So my dad was a wonderful dad, uh, and he gave me some great advice. Uh, and he gave it to me early. He, he said, um, if, when you're choosing a career, either choose something where you're going to make so much money that you can enjoy every bit of your spare time or do something that you don't care at all how much money you make because your job is going to be your calling and, and your love. And so I think I kind of looked and I found people that in my, in my family that loved what they did. I had one uncle that was a fighter pilot and he was cool. You know I mean? He, he was just this cool guy. And I remember growing up thinking, I want to fly. I want to be a pilot. And at that time, um, I remember planning to get, trying to get into the Air Force Academy. That was one of my goals. It was my early goals in life. And I, I remember as soon as I started looking into it, at that time, you had to have 20-20 vision. And I didn't. I mean, you had to have perfect, you have a 20-20, and otherwise, it's out. There is no, nothing else to do. So I kind of flipped that one. And my other uncle, other uncle, my uncle Ralph, was a teacher and a coach. And I'll tell you what, Dirk, he was happy all the time. I never was around him when he wasn't in a good mood, when he wasn't funny or making fun of me or, you know, he just he, he, he just made you feel good when you're around him. My dad was a great provider, uh, but he had a job that he didn't love. And and, it, what, and we, we weren't wealthy at all. It didn't pay it up that we could do it. So he hadn't done that. He hadn't followed the advice that he gave me. <clears throat> he had a job that provided good for the family. He was an engineer at the Hanford Nuclear Reservation. And, uh, but I remember looking at my uncles and feeling like, okay, there's something there. And then I had an elementary school PE teacher. And his name was Rex Davis. And he came in. He, I think he might have been a first-year teacher. And so he's like 22 years old. And in comes this guy, and I'm like 10. And I'm looking at him thinking, oh, this is the greatest guy I've ever met. He was, he was full of life. He was a great instructor. He, he taught you stuff that you had never learned before. He challenged you. Uh, but he did it in a way that you wanted to, wanted to do it. He, anyway, when I went to high school, Rex had actually gone up to the high school and was coaching gymnastics and tennis. And so I, had, I didn't play either of those, but I maintained a contact with him. Then I went to Washington State, and he was up there as the head tennis coach and an instructor. And so when he wrote a letter of recommendation for me as a graduating senior at Washington State to be a teacher, he said, I've knew, known Bruce since he was in grade school. I've been teaching him since he was in grade school. And, and Rex Davis was one of those guys that I looked at, and I thought, I, I, thought, I want to be you. I want to be you. So I knew, I think, at a very early age, what I, where I think I was leaning. I started coaching at 13. Hmm. I, I, was, I helped a guy coach the Little League team when I was 13 years old, one year out of Little League. Uh, and this is a different day and age back then. But at 14, the, the league gave me my own team. I'm 14 years old, and I'm coaching – 11 and 12 year olds and they were like my friend's little brothers. Those are the ones I drafted. I drafted all my friend's little brothers. And so there I am 14 years old and a head coach. And it was That's like, awesome. this is great. You know? And we had one field in our town and one little league field in our town and all the other men, adult men coaches, they got one night or one afternoon that they could go practice on the field. Okay. And they kind of had to split that up. Not me. I'm 14. It's summer, man. We're having two days. We're practicing at 10. We're coming back at noon and we're hitting. You know, so I mean, I'd ride my bike with a bag full of helmets on and bats and balls over my shoulder and go to the field and away we'd go. So I think, I think that gave me a feel for what I was getting into. So when I went to college, I went there for a specific purpose. I wasn't one of my older brothers, Wendy, wandered around and changed majors and you know and I think that was difficult on my parents to try to keep him financially in there and and I, I went with the idea that I'm I'm gonna be in here I'm gonna be out of here in four years I'm gonna be go do what I what I was born to do. So, you know I, I think this that's a really I'm so glad we're going down this road because 
it sounds like, okay, you were certain you had a pathway, but I, I wonder subconsciously if you tuned into the fact, the energy of like your teacher and man, this guy's happy and this guy has joy and this guy just brings good energy. And I, I wonder if just like, that's what did it for you. And then, you know, one thing led to another, but you know, this podcast is a lot about helping people get clear on choosing their life work. And I had a dad was all about just get a job, son. It's not supposed to be fun and, uh, you know, make some money. And it was very superficial. So my definition of success uh, in my early adulthood wasn't really my definition. It was his. But I think I think the advice that I'm trying to give to people that are thinking about what to do is pay attention to the obvious, like pay attention to what you gravitate towards or how you spend your Saturday, you know, seven hours feels like an hour. Um, it sounds like you kind of did that early on. And I think that's, you know, one of the questions I would have you is what advice would you give to somebody that's, I mean, there's so many voices in our head with social media and what you should and shouldn't do. And my hope is that people will, um, take inventory of what their natural passions and skill sets are and try to carve out a career that aligns with that. Do you have any advice to kids that are struggling with trying to figure out their life work? Yeah. I, I you know, I, I don't give advice having raising five daughters. Okay. I learned <laughs> don't give advice. I'll say, would you like my thoughts on that? And then I, then I'd say my thoughts, you can take or leave my thoughts, but if you give people advice, it's like, then you need to, I'm expecting you to follow this. Uh, my thoughts on that are this, and I've done this with a number of kids who've come back into my life uh, who are struggling in some way with where they're going. And even even one of our own daughters, you know, who was doing well, but wasn't really fulfilled. And the, the, the thought is this, to think beyond success and think about significance. Success is about me. Success is about financially. Success is about, you know, just things that, you know, you're striving for, for yourself. Significance is about others. Significance is about finding what you were born to do. And then, so you can put your whole heart and soul into it. And it isn't work, you know? And so for our daughter, her passion and her has always been forces. And now she is into a career with where she does healing with horses. And I mean, it's, it's just been magical to watch her transformed from somebody who was kind of just going through the motions to somebody who just doesn't see it as work and just loves every day. And it doesn't mean that you don't have struggles and stuff, but it just, but it means I, I'm just watching it, her just transform into um, just this joyful, joyful person. Um, I, I think that we're all given gifts by God. There are, you know, we're all gifted and it's a matter of identifying what your gifts are and then um, trying to find a way to use those for others and not just not just for yourself. I love that. Um, that's basically what Gay Hendricks talks about in The Big Leap and the Genius Zone. So do you have any advice to going a little deeper on how to how to. Um, identify those interests because i feel like a lot of people have so many voices in their head and they don't feel safe they don't think about like what's obvious what's right in front of them with like you know like personality tests uh coaching you know consulting with people that are close to you and love you and that you trust but as far as like maybe young adults that don't have access to that those types of people how anything you can point out that might help them identify what their natural gifts are because i think you know it seems obvious but i think a lot of people just don't think like that well okay let me go back to again my experience is, is young people okay so that's I, I think most of my thoughts and that kind of stuff of company experience i've had with dealing with young people and and one of the things we say about athletics is it isn't important that your kid plays sports. It's only important that they find a passion. That's what's important. And that passion could be drama. It could be music. It could be dance. It could be, it doesn't have to be football, basketball, softball. It, I mean, the, the kids that I worried about were the kids who had no passion. They kind of dead eyed kids. 
And it was a matter of kind of trying to light a spark in them to say, what is it? Tell me your story. What, you know, what do you love to do? You know, and, and to try to get that spark going to find that passion and then follow that passion. And, you know, just like I talked about before, I, I felt called to teach and coach. And a calling is different than a career. The calling is like, this is what I was born for. This is, I don't think you ever really retire from a calling. Okay. I mean, that's what I'm doing now. I mean, people say, when are you going to retire? I say, I don't ever plan on retiring. I mean, think about what I do. I, I've, I've stopped traveling. I, I'm really only traveling now to work with clients who've been, have turned into friends or long, very long-term relationships. But I've almost eliminated travel and anybody who really wants to work with me for whatever reason, they can come to Camino Island. We have a guest house. They come here from all over the country and will land for two or three days and do that. Uh, I, I, why would I stop doing that? I mean, yeah. why, no, why I, would I, I stop doing something that I love to do? And I think I, I can still hopefully be of assistance to people. Um, and so really what you're trying to do with the calling is, is it's not about money. It's about adding value adding value to other people and having a purpose that's bigger than you. And I mean, I, I don't know if you know this about me, Dirk, cause, but I'm really a shy person. I, I am a kind of an introverted person. Unless I'm talking about something I have a passion about. <laughs> okay. And so people will say, well, you've spoken in front of over a million people in person and, and you know, how can you tell me you're shy? And it's like, you know what? When I get up there, I don't like being the center of attention. But when I get up to speak in front of a, a crowd, I'm not the center of attention. The content is the center of attention. And I'm just the deliverer of the message. And I remember there was a guy where we live. There aren't very many people on the south end of Camino Island. And there, there, I had two neighbors. And there was an older guy who loves sports. Great big old guy. He's a great guy. And his name was Ron. And, and one day, Ron came over. And I'd never talked to him about what I did. We just talked about living here and building a trail and, you know, uh, that kind of stuff and what he did with his life and stuff. And he came over one day and just came in with a cup of coffee and said, hey, let's just talk. And, and on my um, counter was a, a flyer that I just got from a clinic I was going to be speaking at. And it was a national clinic, football clinic. And. So they had the pictures of these four or five keynote speakers up there, you know, well, they're all these big name football coaches. And then Bruce Brown, you know, and Ron looks at that and he looks at me, looks at it, he goes, you did that with your computer. I said, yeah, pretty good job. <laughs> Never talked about it. He, he, he did not see that in me, but really the idea of doing something that is purposeful and bigger than yourself is one of the things I think that allows people to just flourish, especially young kids. You know, if they can find your why, what is your why? If you haven't read that book, any of your listeners haven't read that book, Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. Oh my goodness. Great book. And, and so many times, and even as a teacher, when we talk to teachers, I'll say, when you're teaching something new, you know, you need to begin with why. The better your why is, the quicker it's going to be accepted. You know, coaches, when you're teaching a new technique or a new skill or a new offense, you know, to have a, a why that the kids go, okay, I see the big picture here and I'm buying in now. And the better your why, the less resistance you're ever going to get as a, as a teacher. So, you know, the, the clearer, the sooner you can find your why, I think that the clearer your path becomes. There's another book that I love called Purpose Driven Life. Uh, great book. Great book. And the first line is, it's not about you. That's the very first line in the book. I love, I know both those books. Um, I love it. This is gold. I really appreciate, this is great information. Before, I want to kind of get into a little bit about post-teaching and post-coaching, but I, I'm curious while I've got you, what kind of, a um, couple questions, what kind of athlete were you? And like, was there, you know, you've coached football, baseball, basketball, volleyball. Did you have a passion around one or did you like them all equally? Well, first of all, I, I, I was an okay athlete. I, I, uh, my two older brothers, my dad had been an athlete. He really wanted my, 
all of us to be athletes. And he tried real hard with my two older brothers. Well, my oldest brother had polio, so that made it difficult. My other brother was a musician and he wasn't interested in athletics at all. So by the time I came along, my dad was like, just be you, you know? <laughs> so, so, and I grew up loving to play. I don't know how good I was. I was one of those guys that would do whatever the team needed me to do. I, I was one of those guys who um, listened hard when people were coaching me because I thought if I'm going to become a coach, I, I, I want to start figuring out why. I remember playing baseball one time in a junior high game and we played against a team that we just hammered. But this coach from this other team had these kids just doing so many things, and even though they weren't very physically talented, he had them. And I remember going over to him at the end of the game and said, you mind if I ask you some questions? You know, <laughs> how, you know, how do you, you know, when do you use that squeeze defense? Why do you rotate your guy? You know, and he was great with me. So I think I was a, a good learner as an athlete was probably one of my strongest points. I don't think I, I was competitive. I, I liked the battle. Um, and, you know, sometimes I know I played because my knees would bleed and I'd die with, you know, that. Um, but as far as the sports, I grew up in an age where you grew up, you played everything. You know, there wasn't specialization. Um, and it was like, you know, you finish one season. OK, what's next? Let's go. And and that was a great way to grow up athletically. As far as coaching the sports, I think each sport has its own uniqueness that it brings um, football, so many different roles, so many different body types, so, so many different personalities, uh, so, so much of working together as a unit with 11 guys all contributing their part. Um, football, you also get the, sometimes the toughest boys, and it's an opportunity to take those toughest boys and teach them that they can be tough and still be respectful. They can be tough and grow up to be a caring, thoughtful person. You know, it, so it provided a lot of opportunities that way uh, to, to learn how to control your emotions in football and not just, you know, yes, you want to be emotional, but you want your emotions to help your performance and not, not hurt it. Basketball was a beautiful game. And I had to, I'm kind of a control coach. I, I hate to admit that. And Football allowed you to kind of call everything if you wanted to. Uh, toward the end of my career, I started letting my quarterbacks. I, I thought if, if I'm doing a good enough job, I'm going to teach my quarterbacks what I see. I'm going to let them see it and let them make their own decisions. Just that was fun for me. But basketball, you kind of had to say, whoa, wait a minute. OK, here's some parameters now. Just stay within those parameters and then attack. You know, it's it's a beautiful game. The, I love the passing. I love the uh, the different roles that you can contribute in basketball. Um, I love practices in basketball because you're inside and, it, and it's a very controlled environment. You can, it's a great teaching environment. A volleyball, simple game, balls around, it bounces where it's supposed to go. It's soft. You don't have to do everything. You either, you know, you got to be able to serve, receive, serve, set it and hit it and block it. And you don't have to do all of them, you know? So that was, that was, uh, that was a beautiful sport to coach. Baseball was like chess to me. You know, you could kind of move the pieces around. And again, being a control coach, I, I like that. I'm not sure that's the best way to coach, but it's, it's, it was, uh, it was like playing chess. For me. It was like, you could constantly do things to make the other team do something they didn't want to do. Um, yeah. yeah, I think they're all good, you know, different contribute to, to kids contributes to the life lessons in different ways. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I loved them all. I played them all. I even played volleyball. I remember it's like I was always my dad was always comparing. So I grew up kind of like comparing and I thought I was a good baseball player and, until I started playing with Olerud. Uh, and we'd always play it together at the end of the year in the all-star team. And I remember, and, and this is going to lead to a question I have for you, but it was really cool for me to look back. And at the time, I didn't realize it, but like being exposed to true talent uh, I was always an admirer. Like my dad played at Florida State. My brother played in college. My cousin played for the Huskies. And I was always like, I really, um, I wouldn't say I was infatuated, but I was always very impressed with people that were very good athletes. And Olerud was definitely someone that I, it gave me a perspective into what it took to get to that level, the love for the game and the hard work. Um, 
But I'm curious with your time, and I don't want to get you in trouble, but you had so many great athletes come through Hayek. And, and I know seventh, eighth, ninth grade, some guys don't peak yet. And maybe they get better in high school or even out of high school. But is there one or two um, individuals that you would say were the best athletes you ever saw come through? Well, I define athlete a little bit differently. And a lot of it, the way we define athlete is through character traits. And I had tons of kids who met the character qualifications of accountability, of responsibility, of, of leadership. Of, you know, I, I had tons of them. And I, I, I really don't think, I mean, you know, you have some of the kids I coached in college were phenomenal, you know. Um, but one of the things, even when I'm working with, high level athletes now, I mean, whether it's whether we're working with division one teams or NFL teams or something like that. One of our concepts is when talent meets talent, talent is not enough. Okay. So you've got to have an edge that goes beyond your talent. I mean, I see one of the teams we've worked with for the last few years, we've worked with UCLA football for the last four or five years. And it's interesting to see these kids come in, Dirk, and they have been all everything in high school. They're the best player on every team they've ever been on. And all of a sudden they, and, and they get recruited and they, you know, they're feeling pretty good about themselves and they arrive on campus and they go to their position meeting and they realize there's 11 other guys that play that position and they're like number 10. Okay. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to pout? Are you going to transfer? Are you going to blame the coach? Are you going to whine? What are you going to, or are you going to find an edge? And the same thing is true working with NFL teams. I mean, think about that. Every one of those kids was probably high school, all state, probably all American in college, uh, you know, captain, leading scorer, inspirational. And all of a sudden they come on to NFL team and they're hoping that they get a chance to get on the field as a special teams player. And so, you know, it's you talk about old root. It's fun to see kids with that level of talent, and it gives you a perspective. You know, as as a teacher and as a coach, it gives you a big perspective of uh, there's there's a difference. <laughs> you know, but you treat I, them all the same. The expectations, your standards are the same for your highest performer and your lowest performer. You said something in your in your question about those kids you know, in, in junior high school. That was another really fun thing about junior high school. You had some kids who are early physical matures. You know, they're they're tall, they got hair on their chest, you know, and they're 15 years old. And you've got to take that kid and you've got to let that kid know, look, you are the best player right now. And part of it is that you're already physically mature. You know, you're going to be a six foot, star in eighth and ninth grade and you're going to be a six foot senior very likely in high school so you're going to have to adapt your role mm -hmm. so you start preparing those kids for what's coming and some of these kids that you've been patting them on the head down here and you know you better be nice to those kids because they're going to be up here in a few years and so yeah. the flip side of that is that's that late mature oh i love those kids and what you're what you're really saying is Hang on. Don't stop playing. Wear out a ball over the summer. Just stay in love with the game. Your day is coming. You know, I remember having a kid one time came in and he was about five, six, and he loved basketball. And, and uh, he, he, his dad came to me and he said, gosh, I just don't know if JD's ever going to be any good at this game, you know? And I remember <laughs> looking up at him like this because he was six, eight. <laughs> is that jd taylor yes, it, no it's jd oh. i said, no, oh, okay. I said jd's not gonna have any problem <laughs> just let's just coach him and teach him to love the game yeah and then teach him to play it and then let his growth spurt come and he was a six foot eight or nine inch junior and so it's like so those kids you're saying hang on stay in here i got my arm around you you don't you let any don't you quit don't you give up on yourself because your best days are ahead of you so it was a matter of counseling both those extremes so that they could get a vision. One of our, one of our concepts with coaches when they're dealing with young people is to visualize the finished product. Yeah, see them as where they are, but then visualize where you think they're going to be. 
because those young kids that you're working with are going to grow up to be great dads, husbands, businessmen, leaders, physicians. I mean, they're going to grow up. I, I one of my presentations called um, called the called the coach and inspire. It, it's about what separates teachers. And we talked about that. And I put up a picture of a junior high school basketball team. And I said, look at those guys. What do you see? You know, if you're just kind of looking at it, you're seeing a bunch of skinny little dogs that just kind of got a big grin on their face, kind of goofy looking guy. I said, in that picture, there are three guys who've gone into teaching and coaching. There's one guy that got drafted in the first round of the NBA. There's a kid who pitched in the major leagues for six years and now owns his own business. There's there's uh, four of those guys who have very successful businesses now of their own. There is there's a fireman in there. There's a Navy SEAL in there. Would you have ever guessed that? You know, and and so they're looking at it and, and you're and you're thinking, wow. Yeah. So the idea is to visualize the finished product. And that was something you just talked about taking weight training in junior high school. And we did a lot of body weight stuff. We weren't doing a lot of heavy lifting, of course. But but the whole thing there was, I don't care what you look like now. Visualize what you want to look like. Visualize that finished product. And then every day, see if you can close that gap. Just a little tiny bit. So, I love it. Um, I remember I seventh grade, like Mark Dow was one of those guys that looked like a man to me, I think he was two years. And then Ken Stoner was my neighbor. I don't know if you remember Ken, but those guys, I mean, I just thought they were men amongst boys, but um, you're talking about the visualization, which, you know, I've really, I've had a coach for about 12 years and it's been really instrumental in my life in terms of just kind of rewiring thoughts that didn't serve me and creating new thoughts, which created new emotions. And one of the things that I've really gotten into is meditation. And I, I'm just curious, does that ever play a part in your world as far as, I mean, is that something you do or something you talk about? It's not something I do, and it's not something I talk about. We only talk about things that we have actually done. That's okay. one of the, and all of our stuff has to be application-based because that's what coaches and leaders are. So it has to be, I can take what I'm hearing and I can apply that starting today. <clears throat> I've been around a lot of people who have used that. It's, it's very interesting to me, especially in sports uh, there's a guy down in, uh, in Georgia, a college coach down in Georgia, who I, who I like real well, who, who does that on a daily basis and, and, and has had really, really strong results. But no, it's not something that, that I've done. Ken Stoner, I see him. I see, I see those guys. That, most of those guys I see once a year, they come up, they have a golf tournament up here. There's yeah. a golf tournament up here. And then there'll be 80 guys show up that I coached. Long life, and then they have a barbecue across the island. There's another Hyatt kid that lives across the island and has a family compound kind of a thing. So they have a big barbecue over there, and it's just it's a blast. I'll be at the next one. I think Marty Basque is his name that puts yes. that on. Yes. Yeah, my brother and I are gonna. We somehow we missed the last year, but we'll be up there this summer for oh, sure. Good. I think you're gonna just get a kick out of it. It's it's just there's just a lot of laughter and a lot of teasing. You know, there's a. A, a group of guys that called me, it's been about six years now, and they called me and they said, Coach, we want to come up and have a reunion at your house. And I said, oh, you guys, I'd love to see you guys, but I know you guys live all over the country. You don't need to try to find one day that works for you and make it work on your, you know, I said, just show up when you can. I'd love to see you. They said, nope, we're coming together. And it was a basketball team and there were 14 of them. <clears throat> and um, the first year they came up, 12 of them were here. Two of them didn't make it. Uh, one is a high school principal who was on his first family vacation in Hawaii in 20 years. And the other one is Dr. John Sakajima who had surgery that day. He was performing, <laughs> so they didn't make it. These kids came out there, they're from 1971. Wow. They call themselves the boys of 71. It was one of my first years teaching. I, it was, I told Dana, I said, watch what happens when these guys get together. Because when you get a great group of people who love each other, they form these lifetime friendships. And even though these guys hadn't seen each other for over 50 years, they went right back to who they were. The same teasing, the same, you know, it was just, and, and their memories. And those guys have come up every single year. 
since then. <laughs> and now they're bringing it's 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 a hoot. I love it. Uh, by the way, did you meet Dana at Hayek? Mm -hmm. So that's where you guys met. Okay, cool. Yeah, and, and Dana's. I, I tell uh, coaches for the keys to being a coach is to marry a coach. Yeah. No, she was. I remember. She, she was one of my teachers and I always have a lot of respect for her and I see the photos of you guys and that's awesome. Um, so what, let, let's get a little bit real quick into like, I'm, I'm kind of in my mind, I keep going back to say a 24 year old that's watching, listening to you and hearing all this uh, success that you've had. And sometimes I think people, I've, I've had conversations with my son and my daughter about careers and you know, being a teacher and a coach doesn't mean you're just a teacher. You'll, you'll always be a teacher, but talk a little bit about some of the things it's led to. And were those total surprises or did you envision, hey, I would teach and coach and then I would write 10 books and start speaking and with proactive coaching? I mean, did these things, were they born a long time ago in your head or did they kind of just pop up all along? Because I think it's really good for people to to kind of hear a story of how action and and things lead to other things which for you i mean you know you've done a lot in your career and you're still doing it but talk a little bit about how those things came up you know i i talk to coaches all the time about being intentional you you can do things by accident or you can do things by design and all good leaders are intentional about everything they're doing they understand their why they they follow their why they're, they're very very intentional about every single thing that's that's controllable and so, so as much as I talk about that, my transition into this other second career was an accident. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of embarrassing for me to admit, but <clears throat> I never saw myself as a, as a writer or a speaker, because like I said, I'm pretty shy. But, and you, but you first start getting asked to speak at coaching clinics when your teams have done real well and everybody wants to know your secrets. Okay. How do you know what offense you run? How do you, how do you defend the wing team? How, you know, how have you been successful? What, what technical things have you done? So I was speaking, I was getting asked to speak after our teams have been very successful. I was getting asked to speak at some coaching clinics and they just kept kind of getting invitations to larger and larger ones. And finally I was doing one down in, uh, it's the NorCal clinic, which was down in San Francisco. And it's a very large clinic. And I was speaking down there. I think I was down there for four or five years in a row long enough that I got a chance to meet the people and get to know the people who are running it. And I was speaking on technical parts of the game, technical parts of coaching basketball primarily. And so I, I sat down with these guys and I said, look, I'm always honored to be here. I love talking about the technical parts of the game, but the truth is I don't think that's why we're successful. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, I think we're successful because of these other things we do about intentional culture, about creating, about incorporating character into everything that we do and actually trying to, to teach model shape and, and define uh, uh, character traits. And uh, I'm sorry, I should have put that away. So no, that's all right. but, um, they said, well, you start talking on that. And it was like, okay. And so the next year I came down and I talked about um, how to create an intentional culture, team culture that's based around character based. And then we talked about how to work with challenging behaviors. And then it led into this and this and this, you know, uh, life lessons for athletes, things that you can teach that every kid that plays for you should exit having been able to apply to their life. And it just kept adding on. And from there, it just kind of blossomed and everything's been organic. It's just been word of mouth. We, until Facebook, we had never advertised a thing. Uh, it was all, you go somewhere and it leads to another one, it leads to another, it leads to another. Yeah, I love it. I, um, you know, it's the dance. This is the dance of the podcast is sometimes you got to get out there. It's like dating and, and go meet people and, and take action and experience life. Um, with, you know, jobs lead to different things, right? And, but in the same token, going back to the original basis for this podcast is taking inventory of what your passions are and what separates you from everybody else. And like you said, I think everybody is born into this world with unique skills and interest. And I think if you can marry the two, you know, in terms of character action and uh, leveraging your natural skill sets, I think great things can happen. Um, as we wind this down, 
there's a couple questions I like to ask all my guests. And by the way, did did Drew Merklinghouse go to Hayek? Yes. Okay, so Drew and I have stayed in, you know, Drew was, I was a skier, him and Paul Crack and Mora and I don't know, there's a bunch of guys. But I had Drew and Crack on my podcast a couple of weeks ago. And I, 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 think, I, I think they went to Bellevue High, but pretty sure they are Hayek Raiders as well. But uh, Drew's doing really well, by the way, living down in Sun Valley and yeah, loving life. first moved to Tomano, Dirk. Yeah. I'm looking across, I'm at church. We, we're looking for a church. We find this one church. And I'm looking across and I think, is that Drew Merklin House? I look over, I, I walked over to him after the, after the service and I said, Murky with coach because they were living up here. Yeah, they've got a place up there they go to. So they split time between, I don't know if it's Stanwood or Camino, but um, I think it's near you somewhere. But anyway, he's doing really well. Um, but if, if, if you could go, I mean, this is kind of a loaded question and typically I know the response, but knowing what you know now, like I, I have a feeling you wouldn't change anything, but if you could go back in time and, coming out of Pullman at Wazoo, would you, would you do it exactly the same way or would you change anything? I would love to be 21 years old and starting all over. I would love to be just graduating college and starting a career in coaching and teaching. And uh, I, 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 there would have been things that I did different. I mean, sometimes when I come across kids who I coached really early in my career, the first thing I do is apologize. Because <laughs> it's like, Wait a minute. I wish I'd have been coaching you in my last 10 years instead of my first five, because I think I was so, so much better at what I was doing. I think anybody who coaches or teaches, anybody who works with young people, maybe even people in general, but uh, if you're a coach and a teacher, you can't go more than a month without walking out in your car and sitting down and going, you know what? I wish I hadn't said that. I, I, I wish I hadn't done that. Uh, I wish I could rewind the tape. I need to make sure that I go, you know, you know, solve this, get, get some forgiveness for this tomorrow. I need to fix this. Okay. Because sometimes, you know, especially in a, in a profession, it's emotional. I think sometimes uh, you say something you use words that serve you and not others, or you, or you haven't learned how to control you're, you know, you haven't learned to breathe before you talk. You know, you haven't learned how to detonate your explosives in an unpopulated area. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of things. I, I wish I could have grown up faster. I think I was pretty mature when I first started, but like I said, I, I always wish that I would have had some of the experiences and knowledge when I was younger that I had when I finished. Well, I mean, hindsight, but I mean, again, all these people that have come into your life and that continue to seek you out. I mean, that's, that's success. Like that's the impact that you've made is that's what I want in life, you know? And, and I, and I didn't really understand it in my twenties, but it's powerful. And I, I, I know that you're a humble guy, but I hope you're proud of yourself and, and, you know, I know you you're, you say you're shy, but I mean, what you've done is pretty remarkable. Um, so the last question is, um, let's just say you couldn't coach, you couldn't teach, you couldn't write books, you couldn't do any of the, the stuff you're doing now. Is there like just a random dream job that, you know, you and Dana talk about, like, if I could, you know, be a chef in on an island in Greece or whatever, is there something that you would love to do that nobody knows about you? I think I'd still like to be a fighter pilot. <laughs> I still, I still have dreams of flying. You know, uh, I, I, I think that's just something about that. I, I've been very tempted to go out and do one of those things where you get on those parachutes and go down. I, I, every time I see one of those, I think I, I need to do that. I need to I need to make that work. I, I don't know what I would have done. I, I, I hopefully, one of the things we say is you can't be indifferent. And and strive for significance. You have to you have to just be able to put your heart into what you're doing. And I think I would have hopefully found something that I could have done that. Um, if somebody would have made me choose between teaching and coaching, if somebody if, if an administrator had said, 
look, you, you know, I got some opportunities to go somewhere where all you did is coach, you know, at a college level. And, and, and if somebody would made me choose, I would have chose teaching. And I think that surprises a lot of people, but you know, some years I could help 12 kids play basketball, but I could, I could, I could help maybe 150, 300 kids through physical education. I love physical education. All coaching really is for me is advanced PE. That's all it really is. You're still a teacher. It's still a physical activity. You're still teaching the rules of motor learning. You're still, you know, all those things. So I don't, I don't know, Derek. That's a great question. I don't know. And you said something about former kids. I'm a, I'm a really blessed in my life to have almost everybody who does something of importance for me. You talk about what I did for people. No, it's the other way around. Almost everybody who does anything of importance in my life is a former player. My financial guy, my insurance guy, my attorneys, my, I mean, you name it, they're all former players. And that is a level of love and trust that I wouldn't have anybody else. And so it's, it's been, um, it's been a great circle that's happened in my lifetime. And I, I wouldn't trade what I did for anything. One thing you said that I want to come back to before we end this is when you talk about talent meets talent, is, is it character? Is that what separates? Like, what is the separation of that person when they're in a locker room with 10 other guys that are equally as talented? What, what separates them? It's about finding what your edge is. Okay, because when we work with like Division One players, it, it, find your edge now as a, as an athlete competing for a spot on in your position. But when you go out and you're applying for a job, okay, it's a it's a dream job for you, and you get down to the final four. What's going to be your edge? And so to learn what your edge is, and and you're exactly right. Most of the time, what we say is <clears throat> one of the best edges that you can have is character, integrity your integrity that sets you apart. And if you have, if you're really, really high integrity or, or your work habits, if you're a great worker, you know, then get be even better at that. Can continue to make that gap bigger. Uh, the, the, you know, there's just, there's all kinds of your mental toughness, you know, that you're not going to get discouraged, that you're going to stay positive, enthusiastic and confident no matter what. You can't break my spirit. Okay, that's an edge. And so, yeah, a lot of the things that people can choose to be have become an edge are choices. And character is a choice. It's not something you're born with. It's something that you can choose to do or choose not to do. And so when we go through the character traits that can give you an edge, discipline, that you can focus your attention and focus your effort and you can be locked in, totally laser beam locked in on something and that you can do that on a daily basis. You can. You can turn that on and turn that, you know, those are all advantages. And, you know, there, yeah, there's other ones too. There's physical advantage. I mean, the, the way you prepare, all those kind of things. But, but yes, your, the answer to your question is yes, that character is probably the biggest edge. All those character traits are probably the biggest edge that anybody can have. I mean, if you think about it yourself as somebody who is hiring somebody, And they're all coming out of the same school and they've all got the same degrees and they've all got the same experience. What's going to make you choose one over the other? You know? And, and so, yeah. Um, yeah. When you say that, like in my mind, I'm translating that to, you know, someone running a race, they don't really want to win. But when you find your edge, I think it, to me, it feels like you're finding the unique, the real part of you, your real path. Like, you can only fake it so long. And so maybe in another way to look at it is when you're finding your edge is you're being true to who you are and you're leveraging that. Um, it's kind of like dating. I mean, if you date the wrong way, you end up with the wrong person, but I don't know, maybe I'm taking it in a different direction, but uh, coach, this has been amazing. I I've really, I'm super, um, uh, I honored that you took the time to, to hang out. I feel like this content's going to really change people's lives and make an impact. And just want to say thank you so much. Well, you know, Dirk, it's an honor to be with you. It's just fun to see young men grow up and be successful and, and uh, just become great dads, husbands and stuff. And I'm just so proud of you. I'm really, really thankful for you. Um, 
and I'm, it was, it was, it was a really a fun, and you know, you're welcome to give anybody who wants to contact me my contact information. I'm old, I stay home, I talk about home, that's what I do, so uh, life is good, buddy, and you need to get up here to Camano. Do people just show up, or do they give you a heads up? Uh, most of the time, they give me heads up, but Dana probably doesn't appreciate people just showing up. She's right with me. She's always glad to see him. So, well, I'll see you this summer for the golf tournament. And uh, my wife's uncle lives up there, Rick Barry. I don't know if you know him, but he's been up there for a long, long time. Uh, but it's a beautiful area. I think an old Hayek guy, Sean McKenna, used to live up in Camino. Sean, Sean lives across the island. Yeah. 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 It's great. I love it. Um, Ian Patrick lives over here too. And Joel Nark, the Nark family, that's the that's the kid who hosts the barbecue, Joel. Oh, Joel? Yeah, I remember Rob Nark and Liz Nark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, I lived with Rob for a while. But yeah, great community of Raiders. Um, yeah, I'll see you soon, okay? That sounds great to me. Thanks, Coach. Thank you.